to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. The theme of today, if you haven't picked it up, is chosen. That's the name of the sermon. That's the name of the whole gathering this morning here. And uh, it's true, we're partnered with World Vision. Uh, and many of you who have heard of the work of World Vision, you saw the short video. World Vision connects people like you and me with children who are living in countries where life is a lot tougher than ours. And it costs $54 a month to sponsor a child through World Vision. There's going to be an opportunity for you to do that this morning. But, you know, listen, listen to this carefully. I don't believe I'm here to ask you to sponsor a child. I'm here at Huntley Baptist Church to create an environment where I hope you want to ask God whether you should sponsor a child. There's a difference, right? I'm hoping that this morning we can create a holy moment where each of us are softened to the things of God and have us have our heart transformed a little bit more to be more like God's heart and have our heart broken by the things that break God's heart. That's the idea of this message chosen this morning. But if you're anything like me, when I hear the word chosen, my brain pretty quickly goes to this phrase, the chosen one. Because we are surrounded in 2023 by stories, books, movies, TV series that feature a character who's a chosen one. Who is a chosen one? Well, this is where our hero or our protagonist, near the start of the story, they think they're just one of the ordinary characters, right? A normal person, a normal character, just plodding their way through life. But then something happens. They, they realise in one way or another that they are chosen by fate or prophecy, destiny, or maybe a higher power and actually they're not one of the normal ones they are the chosen one and they have a very particular and difficult risky dangerous task to complete are you familiar with this trope as it's become known it's got so overused that it's become called a trope today which just means it's overused sort of plot line a chosen one character. I've taken some uh, images from Google to share some of the more popular chosen one characters who knows who this person is anyone that's Neo from the Matrix series, right? And Neo is an anagram for one because at the, at the beginning, he just thinks he's Mr. Anderson. You know, he's just one of the normal people working his boring computer job. But then he's offered a blue or a red pill and actually he's the chosen one and the only one that can save all humanity. Anyone know who this is? Moana. Right? You know who Moana is. Yeah. Moana, she's the chosen one. She's chosen by the ocean. What does she have to do? She has to take Tafiti's heart, go to break the, restore the heart. That's it. She's got to restore the heart and make everything right in the world. Uh, she's got to hang out with the demigod Maui, right? Man, he's a character. Who's this guy? Luke Skywalker, of course. Now, I think the Star Wars franchise switched onto the idea of having a chosen one a little bit late in the game. We had to wait a few movies to find out that Luke was the last Jedi and the chosen one. And Star Wars seems to like this idea of a chosen one so much that Rey and Anakin are both chosen ones as well uh, in different ways. Weird. Who's this guy? Anyone know who this is? Emmett Brokowski from the first Lego movie, right? Or Brickowitz, I think it is. I can't remember. They don't say chosen one in that movie. They, they say uh, the special, right? But he's the only one who can really make things right in the, in the world if he steps into this difficult task. And my favourite, this guy, Frodo Baggins, right? 
Now, we don't hear chosen one, but he's this wonderful, peaceful hobbit living with his uncle under the hill with a circular door, and he just wants to plod his way through life, right? But no, Gandalf tells him, you're the only one who can take the ring of power to Mordor and destroy it. We're surrounded by these chosen one stories, and I actually think that sometimes one of the reasons why we here in this room find it so easy to sit in a pew on Sunday morning, but apart from that, I'm just one of the ordinary ones, we, f- we forget that God has chosen us. And we just sang it. I am chosen by God. I am not forsaken. Aaron, what was that passage you brought up? We are chosen. Can you remind us? Put you on the spot, mate, but yeah. For His purpose, not our own purpose. It's so easy to be lulled into this false sense that I'm just one of the ordinary people. I'm going to try and do some good things from time to time and not be a bad person. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. But really, until Gandalf comes and until I'm offered a red or a blue, until the ocean, no. Don't blot out that voice of God that is saying, you are chosen. You are chosen for something extraordinary. Now, let's recognise this. Jesus, the Christ, is the ultimate chosen one. Right? He is the chosen one. In fact, look at this passage from Scripture. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. An ancient prophecy that was written way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it says this about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Jesus is the ultimate chosen one. And he came to earth and he lived and he died and he rose again and he's given us the Holy Spirit so that justice will happen in all the nations. And get this. A better translation, I think, of Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 says, justice for all people. Huntley Baptist Church, is there justice for all people right now? But is it true that Jesus comes to bring justice to all people? So there's a gap there, right? I believe that if we are followers of Jesus, we are here, filled with God's Holy Spirit, to continue the work of Jesus, to bring justice to all people. How are we doing? But the Bible talks more about being chosen. Check out this verse. This is the words of Jesus himself. Matthew 22, verse 14. He says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this. Jesus, the Christ, is the Saviour of all creation. Jesus offers himself to all humanity. All people are invited to partake in God's way of living life. But not everyone responds to that invitation. The chosen, I believe, are the people who have said, all right, Jesus, not your way, not not my way, oops, not my way, your way. I will not live by my desires for life. I will not see myself as yet another hobbit living under a green hill with a circular door. I will step more deeply into your purposes for my life. I will recognise that I am chosen for something extraordinary, not the ordinary. What else does the Bible say? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, we see this. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you. If you have nailed your flag to the mast 
of being a follower of Jesus, if that banner is not coming down, you are chosen. Will you turn to the person beside you? If you know they're a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to assume that it's all of us or most of us, turn to them and say, you are chosen. Murray, Jenny, you are chosen. Aaron, you are chosen. Yeah. You are chosen by God for something extraordinary, not the ordinary. What are we chosen for? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 gives us a clue. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Isn't that beautiful? Let's read it together. Ready? Go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Let it sink in. We are not to live lives that are pretty much the same as those who don't follow Jesus. I believe those who follow Jesus should be radically known as people who just pour out this otherworldly, this Jesus dying on the cross levels of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. But unfortunately, those people who aren't followers of Jesus here in New Zealand and around the world don't look at the Christian church and see this, do they? What do they see? And maybe they're being too critical. I don't know. I can't judge. But you know what the Christian church is known for? For being out of touch, a bit backward, maybe judgmental and stamping our feet about the things we don't agree with. Or sort of just a part of the society that's just going to fade away soon, not really relevant anymore. What if we fired our PR department? And just were known as radical. Jesus dying on the cross levels of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. I think people would be busting down the doors. What's going on with you guys? And when the Christian church was thriving the most for the first 300 years after Jesus died, that's what Christians were known for. Just caring for those who are in need. And they would put themselves at risk. It would be dangerous to go and spend time with the leper colony outside Rome and care for the dying. And you'd catch leprosy and die yourself. But because Jesus was filling them and they knew they were chosen. And that's when the message of Christ was spreading like wildfire. We're shrinking right now. Is that a bit tough? I hope not. I love you guys. It's all right. There's grace, Okay. But I believe there is a false narrative at work in the world today. An evil lie that's from the pit of hell. And that we who are chosen by God, our role on this earth is to break the back of this lie. The lie is this. Those with less are less. And this is not the currency of God's kingdom. God's currency, God's life, God's resurrection is all about this. Those with less are not less. They are actually more. But I remember saying this in school. We had this little thing we'd say in the schoolyard, beggars can't be choosers. You remember that? And I think that little saying that we don't say anymore, perhaps, in in the front of our minds, we're not thinking that way, but I think we're still infected by this disease that says those with less are less. Because something in all of our minds and our hearts says, 
if you're poor, you need to be happy with whatever we've decided to give you. I'll decide what you deserve. That infects me. This sermon's for me, not just for you. I don't want, I want to care for the poor in the eyes of the world on my terms, not God's. But let's dig more deeply into what God's terms for caring for the poor are. Can we go there? All right. Well, before we jump into that too, more, too much deeply, I showed you a photo of my whanau, my family. Max, my oldest, is 16, but here he is at age four. Spirited children, my three boys. Now, when I first became a dad, I was really struggling. I'd been raised in a really highly structured, disciplinary, uh, authoritarian sort of household. When behaviours were not up to scratch, there was punishment. And it actually made it pretty tough for me to understand God's unconditional love, to be honest. And I, I learned to be deceitful and lie and, lie and cheat and have different sort of behaviours, right? As long as my parents thought I was doing the right thing, I was good. Are you with me? So maybe some of us can relate. And I was falling for that same sort of parenting with Max. When I saw Max doing the wrong behaviour, I'd say, no, Max, stop, you mustn't do that. Not exactly the same way as my parents uh, parented, by the way, but uh, sort of still authoritarian, right? Don't do what I don't want you to do or else. And my amazing wife, Brooke, she said, I don't think we should be parenting like that. Children need choices. You've got to give Max a choice. You can't have a battle of wills against a four-year-old, right? And this is an example of what she meant. If I saw Max about to draw on the wall of the house, instead of saying, no, Max, don't do that or else, she, she said we should go, Max, you can draw on this piece of paper or on this chalkboard, but not on the wall, mate. Which would you like? And he feels loved by that. He feels empowered by that. He's got a choice now. He's got some autonomy. And that is a far better way to parent, isn't it? Right? Teachers, you know this, right? And he would go, oh, great. I don't feel the desire to draw on the wall now. I'll make my choice. Every child needs choices appropriate to their age level. But here's a bit of a problem. We adults want choices too, don't we? You know, there's, actually, I want to quickly tell you, there's one situation when, when Max had asked Brooke for a cup of milk to drink. And he said, can I have a spoon to drink my milk? And Brooke said, uh, no, you can either drink the milk through this straw or straight from the cup. Which would you like? And he said, may I have my choices again, but this time with spoon is one of them. <laughs> True story. But we adults want choices too. And the problem is, we get too many choices, don't we? We get way too many choices. It can be overwhelming. I, just to be honest with you, I'm the sort of person who can open my wardrobe and there's so many clothes in there. And I can think, oh, I've got nothing to wear. You know, I can look at the pantry and open the refrigerator and go, oh, there's nothing to eat. But there's actually loads of stuff. I can be flicking through Netflix and Disney Plus and think there's nothing to watch. <laughs> Hecklers. Do you know how hard it is for me to get my family of five to agree on one movie to watch together? It's a nightmare. In fact, experts are telling us that one of the reasons why in 2023 here in New Zealand we have so much depression and anxiety is because we have too many choices. It's killing us. I'm going to suggest that our overabundance of choices, even here in Huntley, 
is one of the things that blots out the voice of God that says you are chosen for something extraordinary. That, that false thing that says, no, you're just another hobbit. You're just another hobbit. hobbit. You're not another hobbit. We are chosen, not forsaken. And we are called to something extraordinary, something extraordinary. You know, one of the best definitions I've ever heard of when a society has too many choices, like, like th- this idea of having too many choices is like an overabundance that's, that's, that's choking us. But one of the best definitions I've heard of poverty is when the people have too few choices. There are people living today with very little choice and very little hope. And that's why we're partnered with World Vision. Because even though I'm not on staff with World Vision, I do partner with them for services like this. I love what they do so much. They make it so easy for people like you and me to connect with a, with a child who has no choices. Like a, like a child who lives in Nilfa Murray, Bangladesh. We can partner with them and we can scrape away $54 of our excess of choices and give those choices to a child in a community where there are very few choices. The money doesn't go to that child. It goes to the program that supports that child and their village, their community, giving them more choices and more hope. Now, I could tell you a a dozen different stories of how lives have been transformed in places like Nilfamari, Bangladesh, through child sponsorship with World Vision. But I could also tell you other stories about how people like me have been changed. Sponsoring a child is not another religious ask. It's not a, come on everybody, give more, or else you might feel guilty. I am not interested in guilt. I do not believe God speaks to us in a way that makes us feel guilty and shameful and dirty and stinky, you know? He speaks to us with a voice of conviction that inspires us to allow uh, this truth to flow through us more, that we are chosen by God to bring justice to all people everywhere. Can we create that holy moment this morning? Because I tell you what, the four children's photographs that are on our refrigerator at home are teaching me and my family more about what it means to be chosen by God than all the church services I've been to. Some of us in this room sponsor a child already through World Vision or some other organisation. Don't block God's voice this morning that might be asking you to sponsor a second or a third or a 47th. What do I know? It's between you and God, not me and you. But don't think I've done my bit. Beggars can't be choosers. Don't ask me to give again. Don't do that. Not this morning. So I want to tell you a story about a woman named Nancy. And uh, she's an amazing woman, but you're not going to meet just Nancy. Uh, she's actually, she's in Kenya. But you're also going to meet a woman named, oh, I lost one of my photos. You're also going to meet a woman named Georgie, who's her sponsor in Australia. Uh, ready for watching this short movie. Here we go. a lot of mistreatment from my stepdad and I was 
watched the other girls getting married one by one such that by class seven I was the only girl. At the end of every term, there were complaints from the community that the teachers were adding all the boys' marks to this girl. Because I used to be top in school, I used to be top in class. I remember that day, the teachers called us for an assembly. We were taken to a separate classroom. Write about yourself. That I can conclude must have been the first letter to my sponsor. The next time we were called, I received a letter and she sent me a photo. I remember one of her letters where she said, your photo is in my bedroom, so every time when I wake up, I see your beautiful smile and I was like, yeah, finally there's nothing wrong with me. That's what I felt. I felt like there's someone out there who cares, who is interested in me. You see where your money went? This is what I did. This is what I've done. I'll be very grateful to her. That what you did is what made me choose my current career. And that what you did is what is still driving me to want to grow into someone else. The kind of change you wanted to see in that little girl's life is what I've always remembered that if I work hard, That was more than I expected and more than I would have ever wanted. Yes, I knew, you know, I was hoping at least that I was helping, but I had no idea to what extent that would go. There are over 1,200 verses about the poor in the Bible. Here's one of them. James chapter 2 verse 5 says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? The poor, those with less, are not less. They are more. Here's another verse from the scripture. And this is Jesus reading the ancient prophet Isaiah. He opened a scroll in the temple. This is him announcing the very beginning of his earthly ministry. He reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is the start of his earthly ministry. He did not say, I have come so that Christians could choose which church to be in on Sunday. I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has equipped us to be his hands and feet this day. And then at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, we can read a sermon he gives, the last extended passage of Jesus speaking before he is betrayed and crucified in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. This is the story of the sheep and the goats. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I knew this passage growing up in the Baptist church in Melbourne, Australia. This is, this is judgment day, right? This is when we're told that everybody is going to stand before God and God is going to separate all people into one of two groups, the way a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. The sheep, it seems to me, are the chosen ones. 
those who will spend eternity with God. The goats were also invited, but they didn't choose. Now, this is not a sermon about predestination, by the way. Did we choose to follow Jesus or did He choose us? Both simultaneously, paradoxically are true, okay? But I want to be a chosen one. I want to be a sheep, don't you? Don't you? All right. Now, growing up up in the church, I came with this sort of impression. I don't know how I picked this up, but it seemed to me I was being taught that the sheep are the Christians. But that is not what Jesus says. The sheep are the people who invited Jesus to fill their heart. That's not what Jesus said. The sheep are the people who are in church services on Sunday. That is not what Jesus says. The sheep are the people who try to do good and not do too much bad, but ask for God's forgiveness. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says in the final sermon, when He says, I've come to give good news to the poor at the beginning of His, of his earthly ministry, the other bookend, the end is this. God is looking for one outward sign to indicate whether someone is chosen, whether someone is a sheep or a goat. Do you know what it is, church? Do you know what the outwards? Thank you, Jeremy. Some of us do. But some of us, and this is a rhetorical question. Don't feel bad. But I got to my 20s before I really knew what, God, what Jesus was saying through this passage. We need to know. If you're sitting here right now, I don't want to put you on the spot. If you're going, I wonder what Jesus does say is the one outward sign whether I'm a sheep or a goat. I'm worried. I'm going to tell you. But understand this. There is nothing you can do to earn being a sheep. There's no hoops you can jump through or or rocks you can climb to earn in God's sight being a sheep. It's a free gift. Absolutely free. Hallelujah. No strings attached. No obligation. No guilt. No shame. In fact, we're set free from that. However, there is an outward sign and only one that Jesus describes that shows that I've received this free gift. And it's how we treat the least of these. The hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned. We will not be people who think, hey, beggars can't be choosers. You need to be happy with what I've given you. We'll be going, God, how do I expand myself? to build your kingdom? How do I expend myself to care for those in need? And Jesus goes further. He tells us in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Jesus is saying that he is the least of these. And he continues, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's let that sink in. Let's let that sink in. So there is an opportunity to to sponsor a child this morning. And I'm hoping we can create a holy moment where each of us in this room will not first think about your debt or your next project or how many kids you already sponsor or whatever it is you, you do. And I'm sure you're a generous bunch. Got to ask God. And we have to, I think we have to do these three things. One, ask God, would you have me sponsor this morning? Two, we have to listen for his answer. And three, we need to obey. I think if you ask with a a sincere heart, God, should I sponsor? He will speak to you. And I think you should hear a clear yes or no. If you hear no, I'm not going to look at you weird. 
Jono and Kylie aren't going to look at you weird, but you must ask before God and listen for His answer. And when you hear that answer, obey. Are we on the same page? Great. Now, when I became, became my sponsor for the first time in 2000, there was a table at the back of the church building with lots of photographs of children in places like Bangladesh. But there's no photographs today. Because back then, I got to choose which child I wanted to sponsor. And I chose the photograph that I thought would look good on my fridge. And I would look down my bank statement and see the money going for a little girl named Carabo in Rwanda and go, oh, look, I'm one of the good people. Don't ask me to give again. I'm already doing my bit. Don't you dare ask me to do more. Look. I turned a little girl in Rwanda into a utility for me. But God's been opening my eyes as I hope and pray He'll open ours this morning. There's no photographs out there. We've got too many choices. It's done differently now. Could one choice change everything? Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.